Have you ever noticed how often it's true that our strong and faithful God who guides us and who delivers us uses strong women in our lives to help? Have you ever noticed that? Anybody else notice that? Yeah, I have. I have my cup from the Chatterbox Cafe here with me today. Has anybody been to the Chatterbox Cafe? Does anybody know about the Chatterbox Cafe? Sounds like a wonderful place. It's in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. And uh, it says, good coffee and old stories are two of life's glories. Lake Wobegon, Minnesota is a place, (laughs) it's actually a place that doesn't exist. It's a figment of the imagination of Garrison Keillor. He tells a story every Saturday night called The The News from Lake Wobegon. It's always a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota. He says, my hometown. And he describes it like this, where all the women are, you, you don't listen to this, yeah, where all the women are strong, all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. That's what he says. And when he gets to the end of his story, which sometimes is better than other times, when he gets to the end of this story, he says, that's the news from Lake Wobegon, where all the women are strong, and all the men are good-looking, and all the children are above average. Well, town's got to be a great town if all the women there are strong. We all appreciate strong women, don't we? I called one this morning on the phone. I said to her, Mom, it's me, your problem child. (laughs) Kenny, she said. (laughs) I made that up. And she said, uh, she was glad to hear from me. And I said, Mom, you know, I want to tell you that you're a good mom, that, that, that you are a loving mom. And very few people have a mom like you. She goes, my mom has very good theology. So she was not going to let me get away with saying she was good. She's like, Kenny, if you saw any good thing in me, it was what the Lord did. I know, Mom, I, I know you have good theology, but I'm just saying you have an advanced level of sanctification. And, uh, and then I told her what I was going to give her for Mother's Day. She said, I don't want that. <laughs> and she said, I just want you to be good. And then I said, can't I just buy you something? Because that's what I say every year. And it'd be so much easier just to buy mom something than to have that obligation that mothers can lay on you to be good all year, all year long. But don't you just thank God for the strong women, the women that God and that grace has made strong and the help that they are to us. And we have an interesting story that we just happened to arrive at with, with just the slightest manipulation of my pace through Matthew, I just happened to arrive at the story that we're going to talk about today in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28. Jesus goes away from where he was. Now, at this point in his ministry, he's in Galilee, that region around the Sea of Galilee in the north of Israel. And he goes away, and he takes his disciples away. And if you've been following, if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that he keeps trying to get away. I think there is a twofold reason for him trying to get away. Jesus was not against taking vacations and naps and going to beautiful places to rest. He was not against that. As a matter of fact, the Bible repeatedly and specifically says that Jesus rested and napped and took vacations and went to beautiful places. So there's no doubt that that's one of the things that he was trying to do 
when he went away to this region of Tyre and Sidon, which could have been as much as 50 miles away from Galilee. It was in a mountainous region. This time of the year it would have been hot in Galilee, and he would have gone to a cooler region in the mountains and probably so far, as, as far away as the, sh- as the shores of the Mediterranean Sea and a house that they had there, someone had loaned them, I suppose. So the book of Mark has this story too, and in Mark, it's a house. They have a house. Now, you, if you can imagine the, 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 the intense ministry that Jesus would have had, if you were able to heal people, restore the sight to blind people, raise the dead. There would have been a long line of people constantly clamoring for his attention. His teaching, he taught thousands, he fed thousands, he healed hundreds, maybe thousands of people. So a person like this would have enormous popularity, would have enormous demands on his time. And that would have been the smallest part of the pressure that Jesus would feel in his humanity because he also had the religious establishment bearing down on him. And they were very efficient at that. But beyond all of that, he had the weight, the burden of demonic opposition as well. And in every crowd of sick people were people who were oppressed by demons. And they did the darkest and most vile things. And this was the case when he got to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He got there, he was supposed to be away, he was supposed to be alone, he was supposed to be able to coach his disciples, which would have been the second reason to get away. He's always trying to get away to coach his disciples, or to disciple the disciples, or to teach the disciples. It was always a learning moment, even during relaxing times of rest. You could always see there was that kind of undercurrent, strong undercurrent. Jesus was always teaching. You know how good teachers are? They're always teaching. Sometimes they're on the clock, Sometimes they're not on the clock, but they're wired to teach, and they're always teaching. And Jesus was the master teacher of all master teachers. And you see this in this story, that he goes away to this region of Tyre and Sidon in the mountains, perhaps near the, the, the Mediterranean Sea. He goes away because it's a beautiful place to go. He goes away because it's a pleasant place to go. He goes away perhaps to rest. He goes away to get away from the crush of the crowd upon him. And he goes away to teach his disciples a very important lesson that would keep ringing out through the centuries, even down into our time. And there were people that were clamoring for him, even there. And so the Bible says what happens next is a woman comes to him. And this woman is a desperate woman. This woman has a very, very serious burden on her. This desperate woman isn't sick herself. She's not blind, she's not deaf, she's not lame. This woman has a burden worse than that. Her burden is a loved one. An enormous burden, a heavy burden, a daughter. Book of Mark says a young daughter. She has a young daughter and she describes the young daughter to Jesus as severely demon-possessed. So now here's a woman with a burden that's just unimaginable burden. Much, much worse than anything she could have suffered herself. She has a daughter, not a daughter who's sick. Not a daughter who was born with a birth defect, but a daughter who's tormented by demon or demons. This is a little girl who never has tea with her friends. If you have a little girl who's severely demon-possessed, you don't dress her up on Sunday or on Sabbath in little frilly outfits. You don't brag to grandma about her good grades. She doesn't run and her hair blowing in the wind. 
She doesn't climb on rocks. She doesn't make up songs. She doesn't whistle happy tunes. She doesn't play with her puppy. She doesn't have a kitten. She doesn't sleep well at night. Sometimes people that are oppressed by demons, possessed by demons, they speak in voices that are not their own. They rarely sleep in the night. Sometimes they do terrible things like they harm themselves. We don't know any of that. We just know that she's severely demon-possessed. And so she comes to Jesus in this time when Jesus is trying to get away, and he doesn't want to see anyone, the Bible says, and he's trying to get away. His disciples are trying to help him get away, but here comes this desperate woman with this desperate burden of a severely demon-possessed daughter, and she's crying out after Jesus. She's pleading with him for help. She comes to Jesus, and she must have had some inner dialogue on the way. I'm not a Jew. I'm a Gentile. Jewish people don't normally give the time of day to Gentiles. I'm a despised Gentile. How will I approach Jesus? I did hear, perhaps she had heard, that Jesus did heal the servant of a Gentile man. And that he healed him from a distance. And so she comes without her daughter. She comes alone. And she's a Gentile. And when she forms her words, she says, she, she no doubt thought carefully about what she was going to say. And the Bible says that she said this, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. It was a bold gamble, I think. If she uses a, a name that was a special name for Jewish people, even though she's a Gentile, will this endear her to him or will this offend him? And she can't know that. She says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. Now, you have to wonder, Jesus, this compassionate Jesus, this one who, when people got hungry, he fed them. When people were sick, he healed them. When people were blind, he helped them see. When people were demon-possessed, he helped them. He loved children. He always said, let the little children come to me. What's this Jesus, this famous Jesus, going to do for this desperate woman what is he going to say? How is he going to handle the situation? What is he going to do? And the Bible says that he didn't do anything. And he didn't say anything. It really is scandalous. It's shocking. He doesn't answer her. Ever heard that little phrase, love me, hate me, just don't ignore me? I'm not sure what I think about that, but every once in a while I think, yeah. One of the worst things you can do to a person, one of the greatest insults that you could ever deal with somebody is just to ignore them. And especially when they come to you, you have a reputation for being so helpful and loving, and you don't do anything. You don't do anything. You don't say anything. Here's a woman who's not asking just a common request. She's just desperate. Certainly he's going to show some compassion. He's going to answer, at least tell her no. He doesn't say anything to her. There must have been a great deal of tension in that because the Bible teaches that she just kept crying out, really like disruptively, she just kept crying out until finally the disciples, they say, can you send her away? Now, there's just not enough material in the Bible for us to know if they were saying, can you please heal this lady's daughter and cast a demon out of this lady's daughter so that she'll go away and stop bothering us? Or if they were just saying, can you send her away? I assume that what they were saying was, 
please grant her request so that we can have our, so we can complete our little retreat here without any more interruptions because of what Jesus says next. It actually gets worse if it could be worse. At first, she cries out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. He doesn't answer her at all. Now he says to his disciples, I didn't come for Gentile people. I just came for Jewish people. How did you feel when you first read this in your Bible? Do you remember where you were and what you were doing? You have read this, right? Yeah. Did it make you scratch your head? I remember exactly where I was, and I remember exactly what I was doing the first time that I read this passage, and, it, and I had to wrestle with it in my mind. Everything we know about Jesus is that he's compassionate, he's loving, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's a healer, he's the great physician. He came to heaven from heaven to seek out sinners and save people. He loves Jews and Gentiles both. What does this mean? I remember just wrestling with this. I was in study hall, and I was reading my little red Schofield Bible. And I just kept reading it over again, thinking, what does this mean? And that's exactly what Jesus wanted to achieve, I'm sure. He says, I didn't come, but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, is exactly what he says. This was uh, apparent. One of the ugliest things people can do is express prejudice against other people. And this is Jesus Christ expressing apparent prejudice against someone because of their nationality, someone who never had done anything to him, someone who had a desperate need. What did this mean? She must have heard it, or it must have been relayed to her by the disciples, because then the story says that she pressed into Jesus. She wasn't going away. I don't know about you. I mean, I might have been discouraged and said, well, if that's the way you're going to treat me, I'm going to go spread the truth about you to other people. All those people that were talking so nice about you. I mean, I think I might have gone away angry, but she didn't. She just, the Bible says that she pressed into Jesus, and what did she do? She worshiped him. This is a verb. This is an action word, right? She didn't just say something. She didn't sing a praise chorus. She got on her face. She fell down. That's what it means. That's the word, what the word means. This woman wasn't giving up. She wasn't going away. She wasn't going to quit. She fell down and she worshiped him after all of this. <laughs> now what's Jesus going to do? Do you guys have a dog? It's not that cute, is it? I didn't think so. That's our dog. I didn't pick him out. He was just given to, he was like, purchased by one of our children, brought home, and then she got married and left. <laughs> and he took about maybe two weeks to win our hearts, the entire family. This is Hazard Pierpont. Do you call your dog by your last name? That's when he came home, and this is him, a little more mature. One time the mailman wouldn't deliver the mail because he was on the porch. They just don't make mailmen like they used to. <laughs> Do you have a dog? Uh, okay, we're going to vote. How many of you have a dog? Raise your hand if you have a dog. All right, good, good. You love your dog. I'm going to assume you love your dog. I know it's not as cute as our dog, but, you know, they all have their own charms. 
What I want to do is I want to vote again. Only those of you who raise your hand can vote. All right? Those of you who have a dog at home, you raise your hand, you can vote. We're going to have um, a vote between you feed your dog from the table, you don't feed your dog from the table. Now, you understand, Hazard, you will never meet Hazard because Hazard is a confirmed pagan and doesn't come to church. The only dog that I know that's come to church here is Webb Bacon's Jetta. She helped put out the candles for the luminaries one, one night. And that's another story for another day, which you'll want to hear. The Jetta's come. But Hazard will probably not ever come to church. <laughs> Dogs. Anyway, you have a dog. We're going to vote, all right? I was, I was visiting this week with a family, and they have a dog, um, Neil and Sally Wilson, they have a dog named Tyler. So if your kid's named Tyler, sorry about that. But anyway, the dog's named Tyler, and I went to visit their home, and I got up on the porch, and I looked down, and I was like, <laughs> he had water with ice. <laughs> like, are you serious? So I go in, and I'm like, you had ice, <laughs> ice water for your dog. They're like, he likes it. Well, uh, by all means. And then I drove away and I thought, how do you know? Does he like tell you that? Just interesting. But we love our dogs. So the book is, you don't feed the dog from the table. How many of you keep that rule and you do not feed your lovely little animal from the table? Raise your hand. All right. Type A personalities. I got them all right there. You do not do this. All right. How many of you... Could not, could imagine not feeding your dog from the table. Raise your hand. You feed your dog from the table. Go ahead. Just tell. Just tell. Go ahead. Yeah. We're, we're in that group. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how many of you think Jesus is on your side? <laughs> well, let's be careful here. You want to read the text very carefully. But Jesus does use an example. It's an interesting example. It's really not funny. It's actually very artful. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says, do you think it's right for me to take the food that belongs to the children and give it to the dogs? It's the age-old question. Is it right to feed the dog from the table? Should I feed the dogs first? Probably all of you who raise your hands, you wouldn't feed the children after you fed your dog, right? You wouldn't give the dog the food and what's left over, you give it to the children. And Jesus says to her, I mean, this is amazingly offensive, right? He says to her, is it right for me to take the food that belongs to the children, the Jews, and give it to the dogs, the Gentiles? And this is especially offensive. And you know why? Because the Jews despise the Gentiles, and they would often, it's a pejorative term, they would say, they're dogs. And what they meant by that was they're like dogs in the Middle East, scavenger dogs. Not pet dogs, scavenger dogs. Mangy, dangerous, scavenger dogs. That was a term that Jewish people would often use to describe Gentiles. Jesus, all throughout this, has, think of the things that he's done. He's gone a long way away to get away from people. He has ignored her plea. When the disciples asked him to get her off his back, he said, I didn't come for Gentiles, I came for Jews. And now he's come up with this little proverb that's just, it's incredibly offensive. Everything Jesus has done to this point seems callous and hard and mean and cold and unlike Jesus until he gets to this word, the word that he uses for dog is not the normal word that you would use for dog. The word that he uses for dog is little puppy dog, house dog, pet dog. 
It's almost like what Jesus does to this woman is he gives her faith a little opening to go through. It's like he opens the door for her faith, just a little opening, and he's, I think, using her for an example to his disciples and to the readers of Matthew and to us. Here's a woman who's a woman who normally wouldn't talk to a man. He's a woman who's a Gentile who normally wouldn't get good treatment from Jewish people or wouldn't give good treatment to Jewish people. And, but look what she does. I give her the tiniest opening of faith. And what does she do? The Bible says she's going to go through that opening and she's going to do it with beautiful grace, with art, with poetry. How does she answer Jesus' question? He says to her, is it right to give the food that belongs to the children to the dogs? And her answer will just ring through the centuries, won't it? Because this woman just graciously, humbly, with, with, with this persistent faith, what does she say to him? No. But is it all right if the dogs have the crumbs off the table? It's a beautiful story, isn't it? So what does Jesus say to her? (laughs) Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came. She worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You think about the obstacles that this lady's faith overcame. Jesus is isolated. He's a long way away. He's intentionally isolated himself. He does not want to see anybody. She comes to find him. And he doesn't speak to her. He doesn't answer her. He doesn't communicate with her. That would be enough to send most of us home. If he's not going to talk to me, well, then forget it. And on top of that, he's surrounded with disciples that are like keeping, you know, they're like, we're trying to have a retreat here. Lady, please go away. And on top of that, then there's this, there's this sense of like racial prejudice, which would have been a very difficult obstacle to overcome. And then when Jesus does speak, it's like fire comes out of his mouth in the, in the form of a proverb. When he does speak, it's offensive. But yet she takes that little hint, and she goes through that in her faith without giving up. She goes through, and you know what the Bible says at the end of this text In verse 28, Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. This lady would have had a lot of reasons not to believe, not to persevere. She would have had a lot of reasons. I was just thinking of some of them. How like guilt? Have you ever met a woman that had a problem of any kind that she didn't feel guilty about? Have you ever met a mom anywhere in the entire world that had a problem with her husband or children that she didn't have a burden of guilt? Some of that was legitimate and some of that is not legitimate. But she did not let her guilt keep her from Jesus. 
Her faith was stronger than her guilt. Maybe you feel the same way. And if we kind of went through your life and we talked about things that happened in your past, you got a lot of reasons to feel guilty. And maybe some of the problems that you have, you think, yeah, you know, a lot of these problems are my own fault because of things that I've done that are wrong. Who couldn't be honest and say that that was true? But Jesus says, because you have this mega faith, this great faith, I'm going to give you what you desire. And what she desired, obviously, was for her daughter to be whole and not oppressed by the demon. She wanted the effects of sin and demons out of her home, even though she no doubt had guilt. We all have guilt. This guilt, the faith overcame the guilt, her faith in Jesus Christ, who he was and what he could do. She didn't let her guilt keep her from Jesus. Are you going to let your guilt keep you from him? What about hurts? I mean, this lady had reason to feel bitter. And if there's one thing that's true about our culture today, you, just almost anybody you talk to, women maybe more than, maybe, maybe more than others, young people maybe more than others, there's, it's just you can count on them. Don't talk with them very long, and you will hear evidence of hurt. One of the best ways to get to know somebody is to listen to them until you find out what they feel guilty about and what they feel hurt about. And this lady had a lot of reasons to be hurt. I mean, we just went through a list of things that Jesus did to her, which she could have been bitter and hurt and angry. And she didn't let her hurts keep her from Jesus. She didn't let her hurts overcome her faith. That's interesting. And then the disappointments. She must have had tons of them. And then there's the independent spirit that often when a woman is hurt or when she's guilty or when she's frustrated, what does she do? She builds up a hard crust around her and she becomes not strong, She looks strong, but she's not strong. She just goes independent, and she gets hard, and she distances herself from God, and she distances herself from the people of God. She may even distance herself from the people in her family that have hurt her. She gets an independent spirit, which nobody should have, but she did not have this independent spirit. She just continually, desperately said, Jesus, I need you. My daughter needs you. I'm not going to let an independent spirit overcome my faith. Or pride wouldn't have been easy to be proud and just say, I'm not going to go asking for help. I'm going to work this out on my own. And many women, that's exactly what they do. They say, life is going to be hard. I'm going to be strong on my own. And I'm just going to not depend on other people. And I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to educate myself or I'm going to get hard or I'm going to get savvy or I'm going to get smart or I'm going to just, I'm, going to, I'm not going to let men hurt me. I'm not going to let my kids hurt me. I'm not going to let other people take advantage of me. I'm just, and that's really, it's just kind of a, a guise for pride. This lady didn't do any of that stuff. She had this great faith, mega faith, where she was able to overcome the guilt, overcome the hurts, overcome the disappointments. Overcome her selfish instincts and, and all the things that might have gotten in the way. And, and then, this is the part of the story where I wish I had more information, don't you? So Jesus has, Jesus has healed her little girl. According to Mark, it's a little girl. And Jesus has healed her. In other words, he delivered her from demons. Now, we don't get to see her going home. Wouldn't you love to have like a video of her going home? I would love to have a video. This would definitely go viral on YouTube, wouldn't it? 
Oh, well, I connected to the website for Evangel, and then millions of people would say, look at this woman. She had a, a daughter who was demon-possessed. And what is she doing? She's, did you think she walked home slowly? Do you think she had dinner on the way home? Do you think she visited with some friends? I don't think so. Do you think she laughed? I think so, too. Do you think she cried? I think so, too. I think she laughed, and I think she cried, and I think she ran, but that's my sanctified imagination. The Bible doesn't say. And what was happening at home? I mean, when her daughter all of a sudden suddenly was delivered of a demon, was dad there going, what, what's going on? Where, did she have siblings? How about the village? Did the village come to meet the lady when she was running and crying and laughing and stumbling her way home? And, and to see that her daughter, who is this really, did she, did, was she confident it really happened? Did she want to go home and see it? What happened? We don't know. We don't know. We just know this. This we know, and we always know. The Bible says in Mark that when she got home, her daughter was lying quietly on the bed. <laughs> that sweet picture, isn't it? Here's this little girl who had so much trouble, and she probably harmed herself, and she probably overcome with dark, dark things, and now she's finally lying there like a little girl ought to, <laughs> peaceful, quiet, lying on the bed. Why? Because Jesus visited there. And he overcame evil and darkness and sin. Jesus did. And because she had a mom who had mega faith, she has all kind of a persistent unwillingness to give up. She had a mom who wouldn't quit. A couple weeks ago I told you a story about a helicopter. Remember that? If you don't remember this, I can go over it again. You remember the helicopter lady, lady that repelled out of the helicopter. I'm a little embarrassed about that story. Because when I heard it, it sounded like an urban legend. <laughs> but I, I verified, but I didn't verify enough of the details. The lady did go in a helicopter, but it wasn't like I told you. A significant number of those details were embellished by the original storyteller. I don't know who it was. So I got the book and I read it. From Christianity to cannibalism, or from cannibalism to Christianity. That's another thing that, yeah, yeah, you, you, you're having fun at my expense now. That's another series, the people that were saved and then they went to the Church of Christ. Anyway, wow. From, <laughs> from, from, you're enjoying yourself too much. It kind of irritates me. From can, now we're going to stay here a long time. I was going to quit at noon. It's Mother's Day. No, from cannibalism to Christianity. I read the book. And then I called her on the phone. I talked with her for an hour. She's a gracious Christian lady. She'd love to come here and tell her story. And her story, the true part of her story, is actually lots more interesting than the part that whoever told it made up. She did go to a cannibalistic tribe with her pastor's blessing, with her parents' blessing, in a helicopter, but she didn't repel 150 feet down. Somebody just added that to the story. She did stumble out of a helicopter and go to a man-eating tribe of people with helpers. And she stayed with that group. She stayed all together in Jaya. She stayed from 1964 until the 2000s, like 40 years of faithfulness. And what you see, and you can go on the web, her name is Margaret Stringer. And I apologize to you for messing up the story earlier. I feel badly about it. If you go and you read this story carefully you, and you watch the video that's there, there's a video on her website. I think it's like margaretstringer.com. You can Google it. You can find it. And the video is when she's leaving the field after serving in that, in that general area for 40 years and with that one people group for like over, I think, like 20 years or more. 
And when she's leaving, the people are clothed. And when she's leaving, the people are weeping, tears of joy. And when she's leaving, the people are just hugging her and kissing her. And when she's leaving, the people are singing. You can tell they're Christian songs in a different language, but beautiful, beautiful Christian songs. And that's the way it works. When Jesus goes into a place that's very dark, and he does what he does, he's going to deliver those people from the darkness, from the nakedness, from the evil, from the vile things. And you know how often he's going to use a strong woman, a woman that he's made strong to do that. I talked this week to a woman who, when she was really young, had great, great hopes for her family. She had a large family, great, great hopes and designs and plans, and my goodness, she worked very, very hard. She worked very, very, very hard to train her children, and she's had wonderful outcomes with most of them. But with some of them, it's just not good. The kids are way off the rails, not where they ought to be. And she said to me, every morning I get up and I walk and I pray and I'm not going to stop because Jesus is the only one that can do for them what needs to be done. If you go to a place where Jesus has come and made things right and you look around, you often find a woman with relentless trust close at hand. I want to close our service in an unusual way today. I want you to hear a song. I just want you to quietly listen to the song. We're going to display the words to the song so that you can enjoy every bit of the words. And I'd like you to just uh, think and contemplate as you hear this song, and then I'll come back and close in prayer.